When you try your best, but you don't succeed. Tumbles down to the nearest circle. Parise chips it up the left boards. Got it to Fiala, closing in. He feeds right. Score! Hartman! And Minnesota takes the lead. Zuccarello from the right circle, twisted out hot. Fiala shoots. Score! Power play goal. 2-0 Minnesota with 10.25 to go. Archie right back in again, breaking in, it's Bjugstad, Bjugstad, shoots, he scores! Bjugstad on a backhander, it's 3-0 Wild. Three seconds tick off as the Knights dump it in. 4,500 on their feet in St. Paul, it's all over. Game six goes to Minnesota. 3-0, a shutout for Cam Talbot. Just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. Jared, they didn't lose game seven yet. Good God. They can still win tomorrow. We'll we're not going to be. We're not going to be on the air. That's a good point. Yeah. Forget all about it. They win tomorrow. All right. Adam's not here. Or, I mean, excuse me. Ed's Wait, not here. Adam, hopefully, Adam, is still here. here. Adam. Adam is your substitute teacher. Is is it like the sixth sense? Was I never really here in the first place? Great Candies. Great. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Brains. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Candies! Grades. Got him, good at production. First topic to grade is Pete DeBoer's challenge for goaltender interference last night. C. C. Here's why it's a C. C is the middle grade in which it could very much go one way and it could very much go the other way. That's what the goaltender interference challenge in the NFL, in the NHL is. It is a complete and total coin flip. In a sport that has dumb things happen, the goaltender interference challenge is the dumbest of the dumb things <laughs> because there is no defined way to tell what's going to happen. I actually thought the Golden Knights had a chance of winning this one. I thought that by the time the shot got to Cam Talbot, Alex Tuck was out of the way. But, you know, what choice did Pete DeBoer really have in that moment? Like, the way that game was going, one nothing felt insurmountable. And if they didn't get that one goal on the board right then and there, they might not score. And wait, oh, they didn't score. Yeah, it was. I, I think the challenge was smart because it is the game-tying goal in that situation. Um, and also, like Pete DeBoer mentioned it last night, the Golden Knights' penalty kill has been extremely good. Like, goals per minute, they were best in the league in the regular season, and they've been good in this playoff series as well. So, you know, the, the penalty for losing the challenge is you got to kill off of uh, uh, two minutes of penalty. 
The Golden Knights do that most of the time. Now, granted, they gave up a goal last night, and that basically ended the game, but he's got a pretty good safety net when he does challenge and lose that, yeah, okay, we got to kill off a penalty. That's what they're best at. I, I will give this one grade, an A. A. Because I thought I thought that was similar, extremely similar to the one that was taken away for the Minnesota Wild a couple of games ago. And I think we can at least point to as bad as the goaltender interference challenges tend to be as confusing or the way nobody seems to know what's going to happen. I feel like we do have some sense of consistency, even if it's only within this one series and two calls. I feel like we did get some consistency in the goaltender interference calls that they were basically the same exact rule of that goalie interference rule that was used. Okay. I mean, that's one perspective. I, I, I really don't know that there's any consistency that, that I've been able to glean from this series or from any other time when it comes to this call. But again, in that moment, what other choice did Pete DeBoer have on any 50-50 call on a play that might tie the game, of course you're going to challenge. Yeah, I, even not 50-50. Like, even if you told me there was a 10% chance they were going to win it, I still think you probably challenge it and take that 10% chance. Yeah. Uh, next topic, Alec Martinez and Matt Dumba's fight. D minus. D minus. This is crap that losing teams do. <laughs> this is when you're the underdog and you're trying to make a point. Like, Alec Martinez is a very good player for this team. And going and trying to start something with Matt Dumba over what he thought was a bad hit, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to fire up your team? Should you need firing up in a closeout game in game six? It just Are you defending him to honor the code? If so, why Martinez? Right? Why Martinez and Dumba at that point? If that's the kind of game you want to play, then put Ryan Reeves back into the lineup and let him go chase somebody down. But that didn't make any sense to me in that moment, and it smacked to me of a desperation of a team that wasn't desperate. I'm giving it an F. F. Because it was maybe the worst hockey fight I've ever seen. They just tugged each other and fell to the ice. Like, I don't even know if there was a punch thrown in that fight. Like, it wasn't even a good fight. Like, Alec Martinez just tracked down Matt Dumba. They dropped their gloves and then gave each other a big hug and fell on the ice. It was a brutal fight. Like, nothing at all happened there. But also, like, you mentioned the, the, the why behind it. If it's as simple as Martinez, the hit on Alex Tuck and Martinez was trying to get payback for it, it wasn't a dirty hit on Alex Tuck. Like, it was a big hit, but it's not like Matt Dumba launched an illegal hit and Martinez had to go make him pay. That hit was perfectly fine. Like, nobody has any problem with that hit except Alec Martinez in that moment. So I guess I'll give Alec Martinez an F as well. F. For the why around why he tried to fight. The um, worst. All right, here's another one that I thought was fun. The NHL announced the start time of Game 7 <laughs> right before the start of the third period last night. That deserves an A++. A++. Troll game on fleek. It's incredible because it's a way to make both fan bases mad. Because if you're the Golden Knights, you're looking at that saying, why are we talking about game seven? Game six is right here. If we win this, there is no game seven. What is this rigged? And Minnesota Wild fans can be like, well, you jinxed it. You said there was going to be a game seven and then there wasn't. It was phenomenal. And there was literally no reason the NHL couldn't just wait one more period of hockey and send that out after the game was over. Like, it, th there's zero reason why they couldn't wait 
30 minutes to send that out once the game was over. Spectacular work by the NHL. Yeah, somebody in Toronto really wanted to go to bed. And they're like, ah, you know what? Just if we're wrong, we're wrong. We can just say it was an if necessary. It's no big deal. It reminds me of back in 2001 when uh, the Yankees were playing the Diamondbacks in the World Series. And about eighth inning or so, the clubhouse workers in Arizona had started to put the uh, plastic up over the lockers after Alfonso Soriano's home run because they thought the Yankees were going to win game seven in Arizona. George Steinbrenner went in the locker room and was like, you take that crap down right now because it's a little premature, which it turns out it was a little premature. All right, next topic is Marc-Andre Fleury. Is there a question or am I just grading Marc-Andre Fleury? You can grade him however you like. That's the beauty of grades. You can go in whatever direction you please. Marc-Andre Fleury gets a B-plus for last night. B-plus. Marc-Andre Fleury has kept this team in this series when, quite honestly, this might have been over in five games considering the way the Golden Knights played in the first two of this series. Had Marc-Andre Fleury not been absolutely outstanding. Um, It's a B-plus because, in particular, that power play goal was a little bit on the soft side last night, and you could tell by Marc-Andre Fleury's reaction that he thought he should have stopped that shot by Fiala. So, ultimately, you can't be too hard on the guy because it's one sort of questionable goal among many that he has stopped that he probably uh, had no business stopping. Uh, I personally enjoyed his failed poke check on the third goal of the game. Uh, where he ends up sprawling. The poke check for Marc-Andre Fleury, it is the high-risk, high-reward, where either he's going to look like an awesome goaltender who doesn't even let the guy get off a shot, or he's going to be thoroughly embarrassed, which is what he ended up looking like on that one. So that's always fun. But I'm actually just giving myself an A. A. uh, Because Robin Leonard is the only goalie in Golden Knights history to win a Game 7. Marc-Andre Fleury has never done it. Okay, great. Uh, the the <laughs> part about Marc-Andre Fleury's poke check that was impressive to me was that he missed it, and Bukestad still needed to very impressively backhand that thing up to the roof to get it in because there was enough body covering it up. So, you know, it works out a lot of the time, and that one, like the rest of the Golden Knights at that point of the game, take a chance. Why not? All right, I, I did want to add this one in there because we didn't talk about it uh, at, in seven, at 7 o'clock. Max Pacioretty and the fact that he is... Gating, according to Pete DeBoer. Somewhere. Incomplete. Ah! Incomplete. Yeah, I'm... The Golden Knights tell us nothing about injuries. The NHL doesn't make them tell us anything about injuries. Max Pacioretty could be skating while having both arms in a cast, and we wouldn't know what was going on right now. <laughs> he, 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 could, he could have undergone some sort of massive heart surgery, and we wouldn't know about it right now. He could be being pushed around on two skates. So to read anything into that would be absolute folly. <laughs> He's yeah. in a wheelchair in, on skates. Incomplete's the best answer. I will give this slight speculation. Pete DeBoer, for some reason, is trying to play games and wants the Wild to think that Pacioretty will actually play in Game 7. And that's the only reason why he would say that Max Pacioretty is skating for the first time in a month. Well, he didn't even say it was for the first time in a month. We're just assuming it was because he hasn't said that before. But for the first time, DeBoer told us that he was skating and... I can't think there'd be any reason to do that other than to make the Minnesota Wild think that he was going to play. All right, last one Check. for you. Not hockey. Oh, they didn't give a grade? Oh, I said incomplete was good. I agreed with Adam, yeah. Um, last N one for you. Not, a. not Golden Knights related, but the naked streaker at the Washington Nationals game last night. 
Oh, this is conflicting. Um, I'm going to go with an A. A. Because I believe anything that is done involving the rainy tarp at a baseball game is positive, right? <laughs> I, it's all positive. It is all entertainment that is necessary for anybody who has sat through a rain delay in person. It is a painful, painful experience, and you'll take just about anything you can get. Um, that being said, I can't give it the plus because, you know, naked. <laughs> He didn't want to get his clothes all wet, so he just carried them in his hand while he slid through them. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. I am going to grade the naked streaker an F. F. Because he goes, runs, slip and slides on the tarp while naked. It's all wet. Sounds fun. But then his exit strategy, which I doubt he actually had one when he set out on his journey... His exit strategy became to jump into the tube that they used to roll the tarp up on, which also seemed like a good hiding spot as long as the security guards didn't see you go into the tube. The problem is, is that they saw him go into the tube, so then all of a sudden he's cornered on both ends with nowhere to go. If he had just gotten in the tube without them seeing and just hid there until they rolled it back up, that would have been phenomenal. But his exit strategy, not good enough. Yeah, it had a very Tommy Lee Jones, Harrison Ford, and the Fugitive feel to it, right? Like in the middle of the rainstorm and you know, some security guards getting out there and giving the old outhouse speech. Like that would have been awesome because you probably in your moment of drunken clarity think to yourself, well, if I go inside, they can't actually get me out. What are they going to do? Turn it up on its end <laughs> and try to get me out of it like from a paper towel roll? Like there is a little bit of logic to this. You know what? I... No, I can't give it the plus. Still naked. We may need to ask our lawyers who come on with us, but had they done that, had they flipped the tube up and dropped him out, would he have a potential lawsuit against the Nationals for injury? Ooh, I like the question because it's not out of the realm of possibility that once the A's come here that we have this situation ourselves. Not out of the... I would be surprised if it well it'll never rain but hopefully there'll be yeah, hopefully the there'll rain. be plenty of naked maybe the naked streak it's Vegas maybe we just make that a part of the uh the in-game entertainment that's the 7th inning stretch is the naked streakers brought to you by Cheetos all right the analy- the analytics suggests that we would have a better chance of an enjoyable naked streaking experience here than in DC coming up next <laughs> we take a look inside so Candy's briefs Candies, chonies. Eh, nobody cares about that. It's not a big deal. Guys. It is a massive deal. How do you not understand this? Hundreds of corporations have been hacked in the last few years, and no one gave it. Name one. Equifax. Candies, chonies. Name another. Target. Candies, chonies. Name another one. PlayStation. Name one more. Yahoo. Another. Marriott. One more. eBay, Uber, Anthem, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Home Depot, Facebook. God damn it. Candies, chonies. Fine, we get UPS, it. UPS, Chase Bank, Tumblr, LinkedIn. People don't care about privacy. What they care about is a good story. When did this become Candies, chonies? When did we change the name? I mean, when... It was better than me screaming Candy's briefs, was it? Are you sure? I mean, Adam fills in often enough that I think he deserves some imaging that references him. Okay. Maybe. Occasionally. All right, Candy, what do you got for us? 
Pete DeBoer thinks I deserve it too. So <laughs> here's what I have for you. Now, just as a reminder for anybody who's not a regular listener, uh, deep inside Candy's Briefs, it's always an interesting place. And when you go inside Candy's Briefs, you are getting a number that Ed or Tyler has to figure out what the number is. I will give clues as we get closer uh, to boring you to tears with not knowing what the number is. So your first number, very straightforward, 99. Do I do I get to know a sport or something ahead of time, or, or are we just going straight? Down well, the first no, no. Clue? We we start we start with the number, and yeah, then yeah. I give you clues in you know narrowing it down. Yeah, okay. okay. So ninety nine. You don't know off the top of your head what ninety nine <laughs> is for. It's not the amount of shots that missed the net last night for the Golden Knights. So no. Incorrect. Okay, it is from the sport of football. Okay. Um, also, doesn't help me. All right. From from the local professional football team, the Las Vegas Raiders. The longest. Play from scrimmage on offense is 99 yards in Raiders history. We talked about this player earlier oh, in the show. Boy. Okay. Um, oh, Cleveland Furl changed his number. Cleveland Furl changed his jersey number from 96 to 99 because Arden Key is no longer there to have uh, 99. And so Cleveland Furl wore number 99 at Clemson. Why is that interesting? Not because of all the jersey change information that we have heard this off season about if you want to change to one of those single digit numbers and you got to pay a bunch to buy all your old jerseys whatever they're millionaire athletes they can do this um do you know why he wore 99 at clemson i have no idea he did it as a tribute to former 49er and former raider alden smith <laughs> no he didn't yes he did <laughs> why I what? think it might be the single most concerning thing I've ever heard. <laughs> what? About Cleveland Furl. Not his pro football focus grade. Not the information about not being able to drive his car. To, to honor Alden Smith. That information brought to you by the Las Vegas Review Journal. Wait a minute. Okay. But we don't know why? What, like. Do you think I'm paying to get past the paywall? <laughs> Are they friends? Like. They're, what I, I, I literally do not comprehend that. That is the worst reasoning I've ever heard for why you would wear a certain number. Okay, next number. Uh, moving on in Candy's briefs. I think you're going to get this one right off the top. Ready for it? Yep. 1.5. I'm not going to get it right off the top. Okay, also from football. Okay. Also oh, from local football. UNLV's win total is 1.5. And when Tyler says win total, we're talking about the projected win total from DraftKings as they turned out their projected win totals that you can bet over or under on for every college football team. Uh, only Kansas, which is maybe the only consistently worse football team in Division One than UNLV. Uh, only Kansas is lower at one. Tyler, right now, on May 27th, will UNLV win two football games this year? Yes. Just like they have to, right? What games do you look at on that schedule and feel like you would say right now confidently they're going to win? I mean, confidently, it's probably zero. But you're, get, you're getting Eastern Washington who is a decent FCS team, but it's still an FCS team. I know UNLV doesn't always beat the FCS team, but you're getting Eastern Washington, New Mexico, and Utah State on the schedule. Those are three programs that UNLV should have a really good chance to beat. 
And then there's nine other games on the schedule where UNLV is probably going to be a significant underdog in those other nine, but maybe they accidentally pull one of those out. So I'm looking at like three decent chances to win and then nine, like 10 to 15% chance to win, which when you have nine, you might actually get one of those. So yes, over two. I couldn't tell you which two, but I think the math is there for two. Yeah, I'm actually with you on that. I think I would bet that over as well because I, I think once you factor in injuries and maybe some team that we didn't expect to be as bad as it is, like you're going to fall bass backwards into one of these at some point, right? That was impressive. I would not have been able to say that without cussing. Do you see how slowly I pronounced <laughs> each word? Okay. Um, your next number is actually a negative number. Oh, I like negative numbers. Okay. The number is negative 11. Oh, negative 11. Miles. This number. Okay, go ahead. Uh, you actually have the right sport, so go ahead and guess. Miles Straw's defensive run saved. I like the way you're going. It actually is an American League West stat, uh, but it is not from the Houston Astros. It is from the Oakland Athletics. Minus 11. What would the A's be minus 11? Is that their run differential? The Oakland A's, who currently lead the American yeah. League West at 29-22, have a negative 11 run differential. Yeah. Now look, run differential is not a be-all, end-all stat, right? You can lose a game 18-1 to and have it skew your run differential the same way you can winning a game 18-1. to But when you're winning the division... When you have the third best winning percentage among division leaders, then you have to look at it and say, huh, maybe this isn't totally sustainable. Maybe the Oakland A's aren't this good. In fact, your Houston Astros are the only team in the American League West with a positive run differential. What is going on with the Oakland A's as someone who watches a lot of AL West baseball? Well, they, it's, it's similar to what they did last year where they just win a boatload of close games. And the Astros are probably the ones responsible for that negative run differential because they beat the hell out of Oakland in the first, they've swept them for nothing in Oakland and won like every game by like seven. So the Oakland A's can't beat the Houston Astros, but they can win one run games against the Mariners, Angels, and Rangers. Okay, which leads me to one more number, one billion. Hey, we're going to give them one billion for a negative run differential. You got it. I can't wait going to be great we're going to give them a billion dollars and then they're not going to spend any money on players but they will be leading the division with a negative <laughs> run differential yes. which yes. is still amazing to me <laughs> the a's might be doing that until the end of the year because here's the other problem with the astros the astros have been swept by the texas rangers the seattle mariners and the colorado rockies the Rockies is the really disturbing. Oh one no, there. and that's I forgot one. Impossible. The Detroit Tigers, and that's why your Houston Astros have a thirteen-eight record against teams over five hundred and are in second place. Yes, it's unbelievable. Stop losing to the teams that are the like those are the worst four teams in baseball, and they can't beat them. It's unbelievable. Coming up next, Jr. Starkus. Ready for the weekend? Let's find out what's on tap. We can provide you with a wine tasting tour of Tuscany. We cannot change why you drink. It's Thirsty Thursday with J.R. Starkus. Who needs a drink? So we drink and we drink and we drink. 
J.R. Starkus with us. Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Also, thanks to Liquor World. JR, how are you this morning? I'm good. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. I, I have an important question for you. Uh, who do you hate more, Trevor Bauer or Jose Altuve? Oh, Altuve. I love Trevor Bauer, man. Oh. I do not love Trevor Bauer. You're the worst. You're the worst. Trevor Bauer is incredible, man. He's incredible. Anybody who's, who's listen, I think we need more of what Trevor Bauer does. He's he's in front. Like you hit a home run on him, he's like, hey man, the guy showboated. I shouldn't have thrown that pitch. I love that. I love that. So, I mean, do I necessarily love showboating? No, I don't. But if a guy showboats because you threw him a, a fastball right down the middle and he hits it for 500 feet and he wants to bat flip and walk around the bases and Trevor Bauer's point of view, which is like, I shouldn't have thrown that pitch. I like that. That's the way it is. Be better. I mean, I think it's more the fact that he hurt his thumb playing with a drone. Like, that's the more behavior with Trevor Bauer that people don't like. <laughs> hey, man. I, I mean, it happens, you know? What can you say? I mean, now, if I was a Dodger fan, would I love the fact that, like, my one of my, what is he, number three in the, in the rotation? It, would I like the fact that he hurt himself doing that? Probably not. But, you know, at the same time, like, I love the guy's competitiveness, and I love his honesty. I, I dig it. Who is your least favorite baseball player of all time? Oh, boy. It's got to be a Yankee, I'd imagine. Um... I don't know. I mean, least favorite. Man, there's a lot. I feel like there should be a lot of them, but like it's not I'm Jeter. Think who's burned the Red Sox the most? You it's know, not for, Jeter. You know, what's that? It's not Jeter. No, no. I, Jeter's at least a respectable guy. You know, it would probably be like, you know, somebody that was that le- like Matt Damon or something. <laughs> Johnny Damon. Uh, Johnny Damon. Johnny Damon. Johnny Damon. Matt, not Matt Damon. Listen to me. Yeah, Matt Damon too. I hate that guy too. Uh, no, Johnny he's Damon. a Boston no. Red Sox fan. <laughs> I know. Uh, who, <laughs> that's why I mix it up. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't know. I don't know who it would be. I, I'd have to. I'd put some thought into it. Be, it would be a Yankee, most definitely, though. Uh, you last year were the biggest proponent of position players pitching, mainly because you wanted the Red Sox <laughs> to use any of their position players instead of their bullpen uh, to he close out games. Was all in on the tank. Yeah, you were. Um, we didn't ask you. Uh, we failed. We forgot to ask you about Tony La Russa and his player hitting a 3-0 count into the seats uh, off of a position player. So I'm curious, since you were the leader of the position players pitching, are you are you on board with all bets are off once a position player is in that anything goes? Yeah. It, he is a pitcher. You are a hitter. You have a job to do. It does not matter who's throwing it. If he throws a pitch and you can hit it for a home run, go hit it for a home run. That's that's my opinion. Like if you like if at the point where you put a position player in, right, you're either getting you're either winning by a thousand or you're losing by a thousand. So the game is pretty much irrelevant at that point. So you know, have some fun. So you have a three zero count. If you throw something up there like that, murder it. That's the way I that's the way I look at it. Are you still on board now that the Red Sox are actually good to use position players to close out <laughs> games? If they're up by a thousand or down by a thousand, I'm all in on position players pitching. I love it, especially when. Especially when you know they're like burning through bullpen because they have to, uh, you know, they're trying that nobody can throw a strike or whatever. At that point, yeah, throw oh put a position player in there. Let them have their shot, like save an arm. Don't bring up nobody can throw a strike. The Astros walked in three straight runs with the bases loaded yesterday or two days that was ago. In the seventh inning, that was incredible. Oh my God, we could have Carlos Correa would have been a better pitcher than any of them. That was the inning where there was one strike thrown, right? Three straight walks with the bases loaded, one strike thrown to those three hitters.
the funny thing about that is that if you look at any baseball coach at any level, I don't care if you're seven years old, your coach would be losing his mind if you walk yes. three batters in in a row. Yes. You well, know what I mean? The worst if part is two different pitchers. If you're first coach pitch and you walk three batters in, coach is still losing his mind. Like, it can't happen. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, one shouldn't happen, and it happened three times in a row, and two in a row were four-pitch walks. Like, yeah, it, was, no, it wasn't it, even, it, like, good at bat, the guy fouled off a bunch of two-strike pitches and you lost him. It was just, no, we just, none of them are going to be close to the zone. All right, yeah, we, four non-competitive pitches is the worst. <laughs> we need to get to the drink, but first I got to ask on this position player pitching thing. It's got to mm-hmm. be your fattest, <laughs> like your fattest <laughs> position player, right? Like that's how you start when you go with the position players pitching. You just are like, who's got a gut? You, no, you get up there. <laughs> yeah, or or you, you say to your guys, hey, uh, you know, I know you guys are all, uh, you know, BSing in the, in the, in the locker room. Who says they throw the hardest out here? Oh, you throw the hardest? Go ahead. Go ahead and throw some fastballs out there. Uh, You're in. I would, you know? I would like, literally just be like, who throws a knuckleball? You throw a knuckleball? Yeah, All right. Yeah. Let's, let's have Pablo, some fun. You're in, buddy. I mean, You're in, Pablo. That's what the Twins did when he hit the home run. It was Astudio. It was like a 50-mile-an-hour pitch that got cranked out for a home run. <laughs> but it was fat you know guy on fat guy it crime. Was, it was fat guy on fat guy. And I'll tell you, that that is that is probably harder to do than if you had a dude throwing 95. You know, because at least, you know, 95 is you time it up. When you're used to seeing, you know, 90-plus miles an hour and then a guy throws 50, to be able, you know, to sit and wait and wait that long to drive a pitch like that, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty incredible. You know, most, most batters will roll that pitch over or fly out because they're just too anxious on it. All right. What are you making us? Is it uh, a choking hazard or not? No. <laughs> well, I should have rethought this drink because it should have made something much different. I talked to uh, – talking to – to uh, Jared last night, and it's like, you know, uh, we need something stiff here, so we're doing shots. But, uh, no, the drink that I'm doing, because it's, it's you know, starting to get a little nicer outside, and uh, I, I would imagine that if you haven't already, this weekend would be a good one to spend by the pool. Um, and as I get more into kind of the summer-themed-style drinks here, uh, the first drink I'm going to do is actually a gin cocktail with the Bombay Bramble, but mm-hmm. I wanted to take this drink and I wanted to make it into something tropical uh, mm-hmm. to show you that you could – take a gin and make it into a tropical drink. Um, and, and it's quite easy to do. So we're going to use Bombay Bramble, which I've used a couple of times, which is blackberry and raspberry infused uh, gin from Bombay. Uh, so you're going to use an ounce and a half of, of that. You're going to use a couple dashes of an aromatic bitters, whether that's Angostura or a brand called Australian. As long as it's an aromatic bitters, a couple dashes, that's kind of a bar- bartender's like salt and pepper. It doesn't really add volume, but helps to bring out flavor. You're going to use an ounce of pineapple juice. Um, You can use, if you want, fresh pineapple juice, but Dole works just fine here. Um, I actually like the little cans of Dole personally because they seem to be very consistent with their um, sugar and acidity levels in the pineapple versus sometimes if you use fresh pineapple, it it foams up a lot when you you press it, but it also seems to be very inconsistent unless you really get it in season. So use an ounce of that, and then I'm going to use an ounce of lemon lime juice. Now you could just use lemon or you could just use lime, but I like doing 50, 50. Uh, so le- an ounce of lemon lime juice and then three quarter ounces of the liquid alchemist coconut syrup, which we've used a bunch of times too. It's a perfectly wonderful. Um, it's almost like a coconut cream, but it's made into a syrup and will add a nice sweetness to the drink to help balance out the acid. And, uh, it will also play nicely. Uh, when, when the drink comes out, kind of add that creamy texture to it. So five ingredients, one and a half ounces of the Bombay Sapphire Bramble, 
three-quarter ounces of the coconut syrup to a liquid alchemist, an ounce of lemon-lime, an ounce of pineapple, and a couple dashes of, of bitters. You mix, put all those ingredients into a tin together, add ice, shake it well. You want to shake this well because you want to incorporate all of the, the coconut, right? And then strain it. You can strain it over ice. You can strain it into a chilled glass. You can strain it over crushed ice. Uh, you can strain it into a tiki mug, something like that. Garnish it with a lemon, lime, pineapple. Garnish it with uh, frozen fruit if you want. And put a straw in it and drink it by the pool. An easy, fun, tropical way to make gin into a cocktail for something by the pool. What'd you name this one? Uh, I named it the Bramb- Bramble Tropical. Bramble Tropical. Bramble Tropical. Okay. How many names do you come up with on a weekly basis? Man, um, it used to be a lot more. It used to be a lot more because I was writing a lot more menus consistently. Um, but I would say probably in the 20 to 30 range is what you're, you're coming up with a week. Um, some, are, some are, you know, what I've found over time is that for the consumer in Las Vegas especially, naming a drink like that, Bombay Tropical, which seems like, oh, that's kind of boring, but guests in restaurants – Seem to steer away from drinks that don't some way explain what's in the drink. Um, so when you name a drink, you know, uh, the bartender's handshake, they're like, the hell's in that? You know, yeah. uh, it's a cool name, but nobody knows what's in it. And then especially if you're using drinks in, in ingredients that people aren't 100% familiar with, you better be able to explain it in the drink. So by saying it's tropical, Somebody who likes that style of drink might even ask the question like, okay, well, what's in this? And read a little bit further or just order the drink. So uh, being simplistic in some of the drink names helps you a lot. It may be boring, but it works for sales. Okay, what drink did you name that you thought was a great name, but nobody bought it because it wasn't describing what it was? Down for the count. (laughs) Ooh, that is a good name. (laughs) Down for the count. Um, It was a drink that I did years ago. Um, I actually did it for a cocktail competition. It actually won the cocktail competition, so it was a phenomenal drink. <laughs> I, uh, I I put it on no the menu, and and the drink barely sold because people didn't know what down for the count meant, even though that drink name was probably one of the best drink names I've ever come up with in my life. That's so oh. good. I knew you had yeah. one. As soon as you started talking about it, I knew you had a specific example yeah, off the top of your head. That's a thorn in your side type <laughs> thing where you're like, when, I came so, up with this Awesome you know, thing. It's funny, too, because when I used to create a lot of menus all the time, um, you know, I would put a tremendous amount of thought into the name of the drink. And I would do all this. I would The recipe part, that came easy. Like, I can write those off lickety-split, like, just, you know, really fast. If you give me a brand, I can write a recipe, no problem, right? But then the drink name, you're like, okay. And, and that's the part that eats up a lot of time. So when I first started writing recipes, I would put a tremendous amount of hours, hours into thinking of the right drink name. And then I would present these drinks to the customer, and they'd be like, hey, man, I really like that drink. Could we call it the, the so-and-so lemonade? And I'm like, oh, God, yes, of course we can do that. And, and so, so it gets to the point where I was like, what am I doing? I am killing myself with hours of work for, for something that the customers just want to change it to, the, you know, their, their property name, lemonade. And I was like, all right, then that's what we're going to start doing. So once I started doing that, um, it, it really worked out for itself because people love simplistic drink names because it just describes what's in it and they can get down with it. Your creative side has been stunted. I'm sorry, JR. I'm sorry. <laughs> totally. Um, he is JR Starkus. Again, thanks to Liquor World and Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. JR, we appreciate it as always. Thanks, JR. You got it, guys. Talk to you next week. <sighs> Poor JR. Can't come up with creative names anymore. All right. When we come back, 
we have the greatest hockey play-by-play announcer of all time. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678. Chris it toward the net, block it away, big rebound, they score! Jari gives up a huge rebound, the Islanders bang it home, and Josh Bailey has made it a oh, check that Kyle Palmieri has made it a 2-2 game. What a pass from Bailey, though. Pollock, right point drive. He scores! Ryan Pollock blasts it home from right point, and the Owls have their first lead of the night. It is 4-3 New York! Nelson into the slot, walks in, shoots. He scores! Brock Nelson has his second of the period. He goes five hole on Jerry, and it's 5-3 Isles! Three! That is the voice of Chris King, uh, play-by-play voice of the New York Islanders on the radio. And I have to say, I am incredibly impressed at how well he can go to a high-pitched voice in the biggest moments of Islander games. Like, that's some of the most impressive play-by-play announcing I've ever heard. First of all, you're telling me that wasn't Jared calling a game. (laughs) It was not. There was no laughing in the background. Fair (laughs) enough. Um, That said... I don't even think uh, I could hit that octave. I bet you could. But, uh, Tyler, you've done some (laughs) play-by-play. I did play-by-play for a long time, received instruction from many smart people, and was always told, you know, hold a little something back for the biggest (laughs) moments. This is game six of the first round. Absolutely not. What are you going to do if they win the cup? I mean, like, you would assume blood will be spurting out of his ears as he reaches some sort of thing that only dogs can hear. That's what I was about to say. All you'll hear is the sound of barking dogs and just like a low. <laughs> it's the Islanders. This is like winning the Stanley Cup, isn't it? No, this is a team that in its history won four consecutive Stanley Cups. Act like you've been when... there before, or at least not like it's the first round. When was that? Like the. 70s or 80s? Who cares what they did 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago? That's true. Like you explained the other day, if it happened before you were alive, it doesn't really matter. It's irrelevant if it happened before I was born. When when did they win four Stanley Cups in a row? Like, how long ago was it? It was exactly the period you just mentioned. Okay. Like, yeah, like, okay. Like, cool. Yeah, you've done it before. But when's the last time they were anything remotely relevant? You don't think winning four in a row at least buys you the you're the Islanders line that you just threw out there? Like, you're the Islanders. Like, yeah, there was a time when this franchise was really good. Like, winning four in a row is not just like, yeah, we lucked into one one year because we got a hot goaltender. I mean, it'd be like arguing, we're the Raiders. We used to be good. Like, yeah, what we know about the Raiders now is 18 years of failure. Yeah, I, I would almost argue it's even more like UNLV basketball, right? Where you're like, yes, you won a national championship in 1990. 
um, that was a long time ago, and it was the one that you won. Right. So if UNLV basketball wins an NCAA tournament game, you got to blow your load as the play-by-play announcer. <laughs> Freezing. I am going to just not address that at all and say that I'm trying to imagine John Sandler hitting that note. Well, you know. Well, we need it to come down to like a uh, missed call. Yes. Oh, man. A missed call to to knock UNLV out? Or to like they lose the national like they're down by they're down by one and they should they should be getting two free throws but the refs don't call it in the first round Jared let's calm down we're down, oh okay yeah. sorry sorry in the sorry. first round that's sorry. what needs to be there the um, play in game yes the the play in <laughs> round that'll be good um I do enjoy that uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins have had so much goaltending problems since getting rid of Mark Andre Fleury and a second round pick before the expansion draft. And Matt Murray, for what it's worth. Yeah. Um, as they throw out the uh, the rotting corpses of Tristan Yari and Casey DeSmith out there in the playoffs. <laughs> like, the fact that you have staked another cup for Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin on those guys is like, mm, we don't really care about winning one that badly, do we? At one point in the game last night, the Islanders' expected goals was like .96, and they had scored five. Amazing. <laughs> that is just some first-class goaltending. The fact that a Barry Trotz team that doesn't have Alex Ovechkin scored that many goals, period. No, I remember I was walking through a, a casino last night, and I looked up and I saw Pittsburgh 3, Islanders 2, and I thought, oh, NBC changed the graphic, and they're showing games won in the series. I'm like, that's wrong. That's not the games won. And then I realized, oh, my God, it's the second period, and these teams are almost over the five and a half. It's the New York Islanders. Now they get to play the Bruins. They're not going to win that. My God, if ever there were a series designed for CNBC, <laughs> that one right there is the one that should be buried on a station nobody can find. That is going to be some hard-to-watch hockey. Uh, bring back true TV. I know it's not March Madness, but come on, bring back true TV. Well, listen, yesterday I was thinking the same thing about Wizard Sixers being on NBA TV. I was like, yeah, this is where this deserves to be. <laughs> This is this is the right place. It might be hard to find. A lot of people might not have it. I know Ed complained that he doesn't get NBA TV in his hotel room. So like, what couldn't he watch? Oh, he couldn't watch the Clippers lose to the Mavericks because they were on it. Like that one shouldn't be on NBA TV. But Wizard Sixers, yeah, we can jump that on NBA TV because then nobody will see Joel Embiid humping the air either, and that's safe. Because because they were, no one knew that they were going to get Kawhi Leonard that year that the Toronto Raptors had Kawhi Leonard. Like. 60% of their games were on NBA TV. And it was always like, so no one gets to see Kawhi Leonard play. Nah, you don't want to see him play anyways. It's not important. Oh, the NBA playoffs. By the way. So yeah, you know, the problem here, by the way, is that the Indiana Pacers didn't make the playoffs. Because the Indiana Pacers and NBA TV are like peanut butter and jelly, man. <laughs> we are. Like those we are. And the eighth seed. You get the eighth seed in there. <laughs> We are. The Indiana Pacers are no doubt about it. The team made for NBA TV because until this year, I mean, the Pacers go to the playoffs pretty much every single year. That's their goal. Make the playoffs, lose in the first round, but nobody actually wants to watch them play. So they are absolutely the team that is made for NBA TV. Although I will say for one day, the Pacers were the greatest play in team in NBA history. Yeah, they scored like 175 points there. and then no showed the next game. Yeah, for one day, greatest play in team in history. With a bunch of like 76 rated guys on MB- on 2K. O'Shea Brissett and Doug McDermott cannot be stopped in that 9 10 matchup. They would not be denied. Now, when they had to play the Wizards, they were very much denied. <laughs> but in the 9 10 matchup, 
No chance they were getting denied. O'Shea Brissett. Remember the name. Don't remember it. You won't need to know it ever again. But that's it. Oh. How you feeling Nick about buckets. the Knicks? How you feeling about the Knicks? Are they going to win the series? Uh, I can't get my hopes up like that. I cannot. Uh, no, I'm going to just go ahead and say that Trey Young is going to score 300 points in the rest of the series, and they're losing in five, so I can be pleasantly surprised if they actually do something. No. Knicks in seven. Have some faith so we can see Knicks Sixers in the second round, and it'll be the most fun four-game sweep we've ever seen. Come if on, I have Knicks. to think about a game seven in the garden, I'm thinking about Patrick Ewing missing the finger roll. Ah!